This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network. Hello and welcome to the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network podcast. I'm Drew Radford. In this program, we're going to talk about a driver of fungicide resistance that is dangerously easy to overlook. That's how spraying to control one pathogen can encourage resistance in another. My guest for this is Dr. Stephen Sinfendorfer, a research scientist with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Stephen, welcome to the Afrin Studio. Thanks, Drew. Pleasure to have a chat today. Stephen, today's theme is about fungicide resistance risk factors, and we'll go into the specifics of that shortly. But first, your specialist area, so to speak, is the northern cropping zone. For those unfamiliar with it, could you briefly outline the extent of the northern region? Yeah, so this is certainly a line that's drawn by our funding body, GRDC. So it covers from the Victorian border up into Queensland. And yeah, within that, I specialise on cereals, so wheat and barley diseases. So, you know, certainly a big winter crops within the region, but we've got a nice mix. And I tend to deal with Dubbo further north within New South Wales. You know, we get a lot more summer crop options. So, you know, a good variety, a wide mix. And, you know, it's really quite challenging my job dealing with growers advise them or the variability in rainfall from, you know, north to south of the state and even east and west of the Neil Highway. We see big differences in temperatures and, and rainfall patterns which impact on cycling some of these diseases and therefore the resulting advice we can give to growers. That's a really good description because it would be easy to think of fungal diseases and fungicide resistance as just being a problem in the more southern medium rainfall zone and irrigated zones, but that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, it's probably a bit the other way because uh, some of the temperatures up here, because we're warmer, we'll go through quicker cycles on some of these pathogens. So like stripe rust, it'll kick over quicker up here and go through its life cycle quicker. And it happens generally at earlier growth stages for us. So yeah, there's still a big need for it, but yeah, we tend to have less fungicide usage in certainly in the cereals because we have that focus on resistance, but we also push through into more resistant growth stages. So we're, we're not exposed for as long. It's susceptible growth stages as further south. And certainly, yeah, even though it cycles quicker, we get through into those resistant stages quicker too. Stephen, you mentioned stripe rust there and there's no known instances of fungicide resistance in rust but strangely that increases the risk resistance of wheat powdery mildew and maybe not even just wheat and it's a common thing within industry that we say oh well there's no fungicide resistance for rust so let's just merrily spray fungicides certainly a huge stripe rush year this year across new south wales unfortunately we're coming out the back end of it up here further north in that we've got through to heading but and I think the temptation is there when we're, our primary target is obviously rust. It's very visual and we know we need to manage that. We just need to accept that there is other pathogens within that crop that have more propensity to develop resistance. So, yeah, certainly the rusts are a very, very low risk. I'm uh, not saying it's no risk, but when we're targeting those, yeah, there's wheat powdery mildew, which has got a lot higher probability of developing resistance just because of its genetic mixing and other things such as septoria are there. And we're putting selection pressure on those pathogen populations when we're actually trying to control rust. So, Stephen, the rust is largely controlled and the wheat powdery mildew doesn't appear to be a problem. But the next time there is a wheat powdery mildew outbreak, it could include a substantial proportion of resistant individuals? Yeah, and that, that's the thing. So it happens at such a microscopic level with these fungi, like you can't see what's going on, but 
Yeah, the fungi are very much like us. There's natural diversity within them. We don't all look the same. So when we put a fungicide on, we were selecting for particular individuals within that population of wheat powdery mildew. And because of their propensity for developing, you know, reduced sensitivity or resistance, we put a selection pressure on every time we put a fungicide. And that's, that can be for different actives too. So we select those out which can handle that particular active better. And next time you spray, if you use the same one, they're the ones that are going to build up in the meantime. The others get wiped out, they keep going. So you can push a population if you continuously use the same mode of action or, or active towards more of those and create an issue over time, which seems to have happened in some of our cropping areas, particularly under high input irrigated systems and high rainfall. So essentially, and spraying for rust has created resistant wheat powdery mildew. Yeah, well, the rust has been the main target. So certainly the varieties were down on their rust reaction. So they, they needed at least two fungicide inputs, if not three, particularly under irrigation where we've got higher nitrogen inputs chasing big yields because, you know, you want your return on your investment. We know that that certainly uh, favours what we call our biotrophs, which need the living cells, so our rust and our powdery mildew. So, yeah, so certainly by that, we're putting them under higher pressure. So the need to actually control the rust means that there's selection pressure on the, the wheat powdery mildew. And we've seen that over time gone from really not being an issue to becoming quite a significant issue because work we've done with Curtin University has shown that we're selected for reduced sensitivity to some of those cheaper triazole actives. So Stephen, is this just a problem between wheat powdery mildew and rust? Well, at the moment, that's the, the main one that's identified. But when you, I think if we're, we're not careful, it's something that can happen with others. So when you look at the risk factors in terms of resistance, it varies for the actual active compounds, the different modes of actions of the fungicides. So we know the strobilurins are a lot more prone to developing resistance than the SDHIs coming behind that. The triazoles are, you know, are certainly lower risk, but not an absolute uh, no risk at all. They tend to develop reduced sensitivity. So there's difference with the chemicals, but there's a huge difference also with the actual fungal pathogens. So we know that wheat powdery mildew is probably the main one globally, and certainly happened in Western Australia and other regions, that because of that genetic mix and greater genetic diversity, it gets selected for quicker. And also big numbers you know the number of spores produced means it's just a straight numbers game there's more likely that there's resistant ones there you know so there, there's those risk factors so yeah certainly we, that's probably the you know logically the first place it has happened but it could happen in other um, pathogens like ramillaria and barley is only just a new disease for it but it's certainly one where you can look overseas and see well they've had big problems with resistance there there is issues with septoria in wheat as well and that's the thing some of these varieties that aren't great for stripe rust aren't also very good for septoria so if that's kicking over within crops, you, there's selection pressure on that septoria fungal pathogen population as well. So, yeah, it can happen with others. It's just that wheat powdery mildew is the, the first one we've seen that develop with. So, Stephen, it's not just a risk factor for the northern region or wheat growers. No, I think the key factors here, it can happen in any system, really. You know, so in canola, uh, other pulse crops, etc. Yeah, where we're reliant solely on fungicides or have a heavy reliance on fungicides, yeah, we're going to select for changes within that pathogen population. You know, it's just a game between growers and, and the pathogens there. They're both just trying to survive and, and get on with things. So putting that pressure on, even in those systems, it's just natural variations there in a pathogen population. And every time you apply something, same as what happens with weeds and herbicide resistance, you're selecting for individuals that can handle that more. You know, certainly there are other factors about how big the population is, how much disease is there when you spray is a big risk factor. And certainly we know that high rainfall zones, which are more conducive to disease, development so therefore there's more cycles of the pathogen can happen within a season and irrigation can also do that as well 
And yeah, it really varies. But and I think you know chickpeas are probably one up here in the north, a big disease. We tend not to think about it there, mainly because we're using a multi-site fungicide in chlorothalonil. So that really reduces any risk of fungicide resistance. But this is going to be a totally different conversation if we lose chlorothalonil to spray ascochyta in our, our chickpea crops. Steve, no one wants to encourage a resistant pathogen in their crops. So what steps should growers take to manage the risk of resistance across diseases? Yeah, and I think the other thing just to point out too is this is not an anti-fungicide sort of talk either. We know fungicides are an important part of an integrated management system, but we just need to, to know their place. So it's really about integrated management approach. So we talk about the, the fungicide-resistant five, which has been developed under that AFRIN network, and certainly those principles are well known. So you know, where we can, we need to go to higher levels of varietal resistance. So therefore, that slows the cycling down, slows the risk to certain diseases. And where we can't do that, there's certainly rotations, a big thing, not so much with rust, which can blow between crops, but ones where they're more stubble-borne. So not putting a, a particular crop back into its own stubble is automatically a much lower risk factor. So therefore, you're dealing with lower issues to start with. And there can be non-chemical options there of how you treat your stubble, how you deal with your stubble in those situations, or you know, even opening canopies up with row spacing for wind movement. It's about trying to change that microclimate within canopies so it's less conducive to disease. So therefore, you're not fighting as hard. And I guess when it comes to fungicides, yeah, they're very useful, but they're an economic decision. Growers are there to make money, not just to grow pretty crops. So it's looking at growth stages and using them strategically when in cereals when we're trying to protect those top three leaves, the key solar panels. So really getting our timings right and trying to hit uh, populations at the right stage if you've got a, a disease going. Because the problem is if you let it get out of control, you've got a lot higher probability of getting resistant individuals. So fungicides are all very good protectants. They're not as strong in acuity fashion. So trying to get on top of things before, you know, when an epidemic's starting and control it that gives us a lot better control, but also lowers our risk of developing resistance uh, as well. Now the key one too, so yeah, not saying fungicides are bad, is but we need to look at uh, rotating certainly our modes of action, so between the strobilurins, SDHIs, triazoles, and with those ones that are prone to developing resistance, the SDHIs and strobilurins, making sure they're mixed with a triazole. So you're really putting pressure on the, the pathogen population, less likely to develop resistance. But the big one I learnt too is even within the triazoles, rotating the actual active that you're using. So every time you spray, you just need to think that I've had a selection pressure on that population. So, so I've used propiconazole for argument's sake. I've selected for things that are not as sensitive to propiconazole. So next time I spray, why would I spray with propiconazole again? I'm better off going to another triazole, an epoxyconazole, something else. And just you're trying to force the pathogen population to go where you want it to go rather than just in the one direction to really reduce that risk. Stephen, great insight and advice there. And I'm guessing the key message is to consider other diseases as well, not just the one you're spraying to control. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, having a look what could be going on there in the crop. And there's certainly some good tools with uh, NVT Online looking across the actual reaction of your variety to different diseases. So that powdery mildew column, you know, and septory columns, just keep them in the back of your mind. You might be targeting a strike rust, but you just want to consider what's going on with those as well and, and what might be happening and the need to rotate within your actives there for those off-target effects. Stephen, fantastic insight and knowledge shared there. Dr. Stephen Simpfendorfer, thank you very much for joining me in the Afrin studio today. Thank you very much, Drew, and yeah, hope everyone pulls off some decent yield this year. Remember, you can find all our podcast episodes along with case studies, fact sheets, 
the Afrin Fungicide Resistance Management Guide and much more on the Afrin website, which is at afrin.com.au. I'm Drew Radford. I hope you'll join me again soon.